Hello and welcome. This is 21. Episode 13.1 Stone Giants Hello everyone and welcome back to 21. Boy does it feel good to be back. It has been way too long since we have done an episode. But I want to thank each and every one of you who told your friends and family about this show while I was on my school hiatus. The amount of listeners that we have now continues to grow at a very encouraging pace, and I have you guys to thank for that. And for those of you who binged my show while I was on break, I hope you enjoyed it. Binging podcasts is one of my favorite things to do in my spare time. But it feels great to be back here doing this show, so let's get going. But before we jump into the next wonder, I briefly want to mention where we've been, just in case you haven't listened to an episode in a while. We finished off last time with the twelfth wonder of the ancient world, Julius Caesar's walls around Elysia. One of the most outrageous military moves in history, walling in your own army while you're besieging someone else's army. A siege within a siege. But this move paid off, and Julius Caesar had his victory, which launched his political career and changed the course of history forever. Before we get to the next wonder on our list, though, I do want to mention something briefly. We know almost nothing about this next wonder. We know very little about the people who built it. We have no idea as to why they built this wonder, and we haven't made any progress in that area since their discovery, which frankly has been recent. This wonder was hidden from the world for hundreds of potentially thousands of years. Now normally, these factors would discount a wonder from my list. For example, Stonehenge is not on this list for these exact reasons. The only difference between a wonder like Stonehenge, which yes, Stonehenge is a wonder of the ancient world, and the next wonder we will get to on our list, is that we actually know who built this wonder. All that to say, there's only going to be one episode on this wonder, though. As I was doing my research for this wonder, I realized there wasn't enough material to stretch to two episodes. It is the only wonder on this list which I am limiting to just one episode. But as I was doing research for this wonder, I realized there just wasn't enough information about this wonder to stretch it to two episodes. And rather than talking aimlessly or making two short episodes, I decided to make one longer episode about this wonder. But without further ado, we move on to the 13th wonder of the ancient world. Imagine yourself in the new world. It's not so new anymore, though. The year is 1862. You are in southern Mexico, close to the Yucatan Peninsula. Oil was just beginning to make its way onto the world stage. No one in the mid-1860s knew how important oil would become in the modern world. But there were still men who sought after it and foresaw the profits that they could make off it. One of those men 
was named Jose Melgar. As an oil prospector, you knew the risks of signing up to travel with him on his job. You knew that if you or anyone on your team found oil, Melgar would make a ton of money, and you would get your fair cut. But you also knew there was a high probability that none of you would find oil, and that this trip would be for nothing, and there would be no money for you or your family at the end of it. Melgar has you and a small group of others digging in a particular spot, one which has all the signs that there might be oil under the surface. As you dig, you can't help but wonder about how much your life is going to change once you strike oil. You imagine the ground getting softer and black, the dirt turns to sludge, and the smell of crude oil fills your nose. You are so lost in your daydream that you don't immediately recognize that your shovel has hit stone. You dig into the same spot, slightly harder this time, thinking that it might be just a tough patch of dirt or maybe a root. But the jolt that gets sent up through your body upon impact snaps you out of your daydream. This is stone, and by the sound of it, the stone is quite large. You call over a few other workers to help you clear off the stone, so you can move it and keep digging for oil. But fairly quickly into this process, you realize that this stone is not small. It's absolutely massive. As you remove a small bit of dirt from the stone surface, you realize the stone is staring back at you. You jump up quite startled. You close your eyes and squint tight, not sure what you've just seen. But as you slowly open your eyes again, the stone is clearly staring back at you. You run back to the base camp to find Jose Melgar, and you tell him the news. He comes out to take a look for himself, not quite sure if he believes you. But when he gets to the spot where you were digging, he can't believe what he's looking at. By now, the majority of the dirt has been removed from around the stone. What is staring back at you, you frankly can't believe it. It's a face. It's the largest face that you have ever seen. Carved into a massive stone, this face is taller than you. You can see traces of paint tucked into some of the corners, telling you that this massive face on this gray stone was once painted in bright colors. But what astonishes you the most is the sheer size of the head. How big is this head, do you wonder? Why is it here? Jose Melgar interrupts your thoughts, telling everyone that he's packing up the camp and moving it to a different location, as you do not have any kind of equipment that might be needed to move this massive stone head. You wander back off into the jungle, and can't help but see those stone eyes staring back at you, every time you close your eyes. This massive stone head would turn out to be one of 17 similar stone heads that have been discovered. These 17 stone heads are the 13th wonder of the ancient world, known as the Colossal Olmec Heads. The Colossal Olmec Heads are one of the greatest mysteries in ancient history. More than a hundred years after they were first discovered, we still have the same questions about them as when they were first discovered, 
Why were they made? Who do they depict? Were there once giant bodies that the heads topped? But before we attempt to answer any of those questions, as always, context first. The Olmecs are one of the least understood of all the ancient societies. In fact, we don't even know what these people would have called themselves. Olmec is a modern name. Derived from the Nahuatl or Aztec word Olmecatl, this name means inhabitant of the rubber country. They were given this name due to the large amount of rubber trees in and around the Olmec heartlands. But not knowing what these people called themselves is not their only problem. Several other major empires rose up from the ashes of the Olmecs, such as the Maya and Zapotecs. Both of these nations lived and thrived in the exact lands as the Olmecs. But they, of course, came centuries later. The Olmecs are one of the oldest civilizations in the New World, if not the oldest, that we know of. They thrived in southern modern-day Mexico and Central America from about 1200 BC to around 500 AD. How far their territory actually expanded, we have no idea. Archaeologists, however, have discovered what appears to be one of the origin sites for the Olmec civilization, the Isthmus of Tehuantepec. They had what appears to be four main cities, shall we say, where they lived. These four quote-unquote cities have been named San Lorenzo de Tenochtitlan, La Venta, Tres Zapotes, and Laguna de las Cerros. Each one of these quote-unquote cities was designed similarly to a medieval European town. You had your government or royal buildings in the center, with large houses and estates close to them where the rich lived. The further you got from the city center, the smaller the houses would get, but the more land each house had. Olmec city centers had temples, plazas, and pyramids. To me, this situation reads exactly like feudal Europe. The center of the town would house the ruling party and the army. The villagers would live in the surrounding area and provide food and taxes while the army and the ruling class provided governmental structure, religious structure, as well as protection. Despite these similarities between the two systems, though, I find it hard to believe that the Olmecs were frankly as horrible at this system as the Europeans were. But that's another topic for another day. I'm not going down that rabbit hole here. I have a map of where these Olmec cities were in modern-day Mexico, up on the website at 21wonderspodcast.com. But beyond these quote-unquote cities, how far did their influence stretch? There's evidence that their reach extended all the way up into central Mexico, all the way to the east to modern-day Guatemala, and all the way south to modern-day El Salvador. If this is true, that's quite a large empire. We do not know if this was, in fact, an empire, or if there was just a number of city-states aligned with each other and who had the same culture. Either way, the Olmecs were a highly influential people in ancient Mesoamerica. 
And just like the Egyptians, the Olmecs utilized the flooding of the rivers that surrounded them for their advantage. They built their largest cities on the floodplains next to the rivers to maximize crop growth. Despite the advantages that these floods had, the Olmecs still had to find a way to live and operate in and around them. So they developed a genius system to cope with the flooding. They built their homes and crop storage spaces on raised portions of earth. And if there were no small hills around, they would create their own by just bringing in dirt around and making a hill. By doing this, the Olmecs were demonstrating an advanced knowledge of engineering and construction, and also a knowledge of the geophysical characteristics of their region. While we seem to know where the Olmecs lived, how they lived is a bit more difficult. We do not know what gods the Olmecs worshipped, but we do know that their society revolved heavily around the sun. Most ancient cultures had a sun god, so this association is not uncommon. And the solar equinox was deemed to be a very important day in Olmec society. But the Olmecs took it a step further. They almost revered sunflowers. They used sunflowers both in ritualistic and worship practices, but they also ate them. This combination, along with other hitherto unknown gods, it is possible that the Olmecs were monotheistic. There is no proof of this, but considering the facts that we've just mentioned, it's an interesting possibility. If they were monotheistic, they would have been one of the first monotheistic societies in history. Again, there's no proof of this, but it's an interesting train of thought. The Olmecs were one of the most influential peoples of ancient Mesoamerica. The other powers who came after them in the region, the Maya and Zapotec, which we have already mentioned, certainly borrowed some things from the Olmecs. We don't think about the civilizations in the ancient Americas like we do about those in the Old World, but the same techniques apply here. New cultures borrowed things from older cultures, tweaking them slightly to fit their model, and called it their own. The Olmecs also loved their color. They liked coloring their buildings to match the landscape. As we saw when we looked at Teotihuacan, coloring buildings was a common practice in the ancient New World. As was the practice of human sacrifice and bloodletting. A number of Olmec sites show indication of human sacrifice, including the sacrifice of children. Despite this, and just like every other society that we have looked at here on 21, the Olmecs were substantially more advanced than we often give them credit for. But perhaps some of the most interesting facts we know about the Olmecs was that they were the first society in the New World to do a number of different things. They were one of the first peoples to grow and cultivate cocoa beans. That doesn't mean they had chocolate like we do today, but nonetheless, they had the cocoa beans. They also came up with the ball game that we typically attribute to the Maya. The ball game was a very important aspect of ancient Mesoamerican societies, and it looks like the Olmecs were the ones who came up with it. As we stated earlier, even the name Olmec has to do with rubber. 
The rubber ball game, which has become synonymous with ancient Mesoamerican culture, was likely developed by the Olmecs. The Olmecs probably also developed the first writing system in the West. Initially, they had a glyph-based writing system, much like the Maya, but eventually developed what are called lonographs. Much like Chinese characters, these lonographs were lines that represented simple ideas or characters. The Olmec writing system became so advanced that they even developed a printing press of sorts, possibly some 2,000 years before the Europeans. This printing press was fairly rudimentary, but effective. It was a roller stamp or cylindrical seal, which could be inked and rolled onto human skin, paper, or cloth. The Olmecs also developed a calendar, another thing which the Maya are more famous for. Despite existing unknown to the quote-unquote known world, the argument could be made that the Olmecs were one of the most advanced societies at their time. The Olmecs, just like the civilizations in the known world, were a rich and prosperous society. They grew crops, such as maize, which is like corn, and cocoa. They also were expert hunters and fishermen. The Olmecs were also expert carvers and sculptors. Archaeologists have uncovered beautiful snake, dragon, bird, and even were jaguars carved out of jade or stone, and their detail is astounding. But what is most impressive about the Olmecs was their construction projects. They were very ambitious builders. So far, archaeologists have discovered a number of impressive building structures that they can tie directly to the Olmecs. These structures include massive statues, thrones, stella, and of course, the massive stone heads. I have pictures up on the website of the 17 individual heads. The heads are absolutely massive. But their inspiration and purpose remains a mystery. What makes the heads even more impressive is that there is no evidence of any metal tools used by the Olmecs. Unlike the Egyptians who used bronze, or other ancient societies who built wonders, the fact that the Olmecs didn't have metal tools sets them apart. It's hard enough carving stone with steel tools like we have today, but imagine not even having bronze or iron tools. At that point, you're literally using stone to carve stone. And what makes these heads even more impressive is the stones that they were carved into. Large basalt boulders were transported over 150 kilometers or 93 miles to the Olmec heartlands for the heads to be carved. Moving that size of stone without any trucks, or trains, or cranes is absolutely insane. Especially when you consider the weight of the heads. The finished colossal Olmec heads ranged in size from 1.7 to 3.4 meters, about 5 feet to about 12 feet, and weighed between 6 and 50 tons. These sizes don't include what was discarded during the carving process. But the size of these heads 
is absolutely mind-boggling. For comparison, the stones used to construct the pyramids, which we often marvel at their size, weighed up to an astonishing 16 tons. But some of the colossal Olmec heads weighed more than three times a stone used on the Great Pyramid. I honestly struggle to comprehend the skill and effort it takes to move and carve such massive stones. There was no room for error. But the size of these stones brings us back to the question of why they were carved in the first place. This is a question that has had many different theories over the years. But the most popular one is that the heads depict the faces of the different kings or possibly queens of the Olmecs. If this theory is correct, it would add weight to the whole Olmec Empire rather than city-states debate. I am personally inclined to believe this theory myself. As we have seen on the show numerous times, kings and queens will do all kinds of crazy things to protect their legacy. Each head is also unique, further supporting this theory. Each head has a different headdress, facial expression, and decor. Each head was also painted upon completion. We can assume to look like the king or queen it represented. Obviously, after 2,000 plus years, the paint is no longer there. But traces of it do remain. But one interesting thing about the heads is that their backs are flat, indicating that they were designed to be pushed up against a wall. Now this leads me to another hypothetical question. Was there perhaps a body that was supposed to go with the heads? Considering their weight, I think it would be unlikely that there would have been bodies that could have supported the massive weight of the heads. But the ancient peoples were able to accomplish so much that even we today deem impossible. So nothing is too far out of the question. Perhaps there was an attempt at a body, or a body carved for the first or second heads but the bodies were unable to support the weight of the massive heads, and the bodies collapsed. All further heads would have just been placed on the ground. Stone giants decorating a throne room seems a bit narcissistic, but it certainly would not be the first time in history that a king or queen had a massive statue of himself built. Pharaoh Ramses II and Abu Simbel serve as a perfect example. So far, archaeologists have uncovered 17 of these massive heads throughout the Olmec region. The first of these heads was not formally rediscovered until 1938, when Matthew Sterling, an archaeologist, happened upon it. But his discovery was helped by an old tip made by the oil prosecutor we mentioned at the top of the episode, more than 50 years before. But there is nothing to suggest that all the Olmec heads have been found. There are new archaeological discoveries being made in and around the Olmec heartland every year, so more heads are certainly a possibility. Something to keep an eye on as we develop further technologies to aid us in rediscovering the treasures of the ancient Mesoamericans. When these heads disappeared from society, we do not know. This most likely happened when the Olmec civilization collapsed around 500 AD, but it could very well have been earlier. Because they were so far back in history, 
and multiple other nations arose out of their wake, it's possible that no one knew these heads existed after the fall of the Olmecs. Much like the Terracotta Army, it's possible that they disappeared from history until they were accidentally rediscovered. Who knows, though? Perhaps one day we'll be able to understand Mesoamerican civilization in more detail and get a greater understanding of the peoples who lived there. But at this point, it's probably going to take something like a Mesoamerican Rosetta Stone to unlock the ancient mysteries of the Olmecs and the other societies. A way to understand their writing. But beyond that, the chances of a greater knowledge of the Olmecs is unlikely. So where are the heads now? All 17 are still in Mexican museums. This makes sense, though. These heads have no monetary value, like gold, silver, jewels, etc., and their sheer weight makes them incredibly difficult to move. So even if they had been rediscovered sooner by perhaps the colonial Spanish, I can't imagine much would have been done to them. I find it hard to imagine the Spanish would have been able to move one to the beach, never mind get one on a ship to send back to Spain. A 12-ton stone on a wooden ship at sea for more than two months. That sounds like an absolutely fantastic idea. The colossal Olmec heads might not be the most flashy, sparkly, tallest, or biggest wonder on this list, but by no means does that mean they do not deserve their spot. Their uniqueness, where and how they were made, and their size more than justifies it. The ancient Americas are often forgotten when talking about ancient history. But the Olmecs have shown us that they are just as impressive as their Mesopotamian and European counterparts. For the next wonder on our list, we will be heading back to ancient Europe back to the old world and back to the original list of seven wonders of the ancient world. This next wonder dominated an entire region of Asia Minor. And despite the presence of two other wonders in the immediate area, this wonder quickly surpassed the other two in popularity. So much so that the entire society in and around the city of Ephesus was tied to this magnificent temple. Thank you.